from the city of brotherly love, this is Shark Bite Biz with David Strausser. You just arrived to the newest episode of Shark Bite Biz. I'm your rock star wannabe host, David Strausser, and this is your place to learn how to grow a business during complete global chaos. As always, this episode is brought to you by our fabulous sponsor and SAP Global Platinum Partner, Sador, S-E-I-D-O-R. Is your business running QuickBooks? Well, it's time to take the next step up and start automating your processes. Please go to Sador.com, reach out, get help today. Now let's get back to today's episode. We're going to be talking about doing social good. And we've had this issue come up a couple times on the show because you can run a business by helping underserved communities and make money at it. There's the notion that to do good, you can't make money. And I really think, and as a lot of our previous guests also, not just me, but a lot of us think that that's the wrong mentality. Yeah, charity, cool. Nonprofit, totally awesome. But you can do both. You can be a not-for-profit and make money, or you can be a profitable business and make money while still doing socially good work. So who do we have today? None other than Link Kroger. Link Kroger is the president of Night Moves, a limited profit company creating the next generation of elite technology professionals through extensive training in technology disciplines with an intentional focus on including Native American, rural, and urban underserved communities. So, hey, without further delay, let's bring Link right on in here. Business strategy. Link. Welcome to Shark Bite Biz. You, my friend, you just became shark bait. <laughs> hey, David, thanks for having me on. Even though this is the second time we're recording, you still don't get used to becoming shark bait, do you? You don't. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's funny. Uh, we recorded an episode, but we had strep throat, and it was funny. And decided to re-record, so thank you, Link, so much for coming on and doing this uh, for me. I'm extremely grateful. But um, let's kick it off. We have a tradition on the show. Everybody, first question we ask, who are you? Where are you from? What do you do for life? How'd you get there? Basically, in a nutshell, tell us what makes Link, Link. You know, I think it's in my, uh, in my name, right? Within the Link is, I, uh, you know, my, my 36 years career has been in the technology space. And um, I, I just have a passion to connect people to release their potential. And to, to have a better life. Um, and, you know, we all do that in our jobs, but I, I took my day job and I transformed that into um, a philanthropic social benefiting purpose um, of everything I accumulated of my knowledge and networking and, you know, people and skills network from, uh, from my career. Yeah, that, that's great. And the fact that you do it, as you call the philanthropic, I mean, let, let's just jump into that right there uh, because, you know, your business isn't set up as a nonprofit. Do you, I, I guess before we get into that, let's explain night moves. A lot of people out there, uh, just as I did, they're going to see night moves and they're going to think, oh, 
You know, it's a, a moving company, but you're not a moving company. What uh, What is Night Moves? And then we'll get into the nonprofit stuff. Sounds great. And it's Night Moves like night is in a chess piece, not the Bob Seeker song. Um, and so what Night Moves is, is, you know, and, you know, we're both in the IT space, right? In the tech space. Um, so I've, you know, spent a lot of time in architecture. So natural at patterns and seeing patterns and, yeah, and and these patterns weren't that hard to see, actually. But you know, in my career, I just noticed all of these same areas that companies fell into, where you know they'd say, "Hey, we're really trying to be inclusive and working to be an inclusive company," but then seeing what that really meant is just spending massive amounts of monies on programs and on really just moving people between companies, and not really either filling the gap of tech talent or um, bringing in more inclusive talent right into it. So um, created Night Moves, which basically we focus on urban underserved, Native American and rural communities. And um, we bring our whole program with us that in a nutshell, when someone completes it, by the time they're fully done with all three phases, they have no debt. They have, um, they're better prepared than a four-year computer science degree. That's what our companies will or rate our graduates at is, as, hey, this is like I hired a four-year computer science graduate who already had six months experience on the job. Because what we never want to do is go to a company and say, hire a person out of compassion or pity, right? No, hire the best talent on the market. And oh, by the way, you're actually transforming and helping the people who need um, help the most, right? Transforming these communities. So we're, um, and, um, and then we do that primarily by innovating and creating technology solutions for social benefiting causes, right? So think of a cause like homelessness and then doing like a design thinking or innovation analysis or working with nonprofits in that space and saying, well, what, what needs to be innovated? What technology could be created? And then Part phase two of our training is taking our participants, having an actual product team that works just like a product team would work at, you know, Google or, you know, you name the company that has a product development team. And then we build out that solution or set of solutions uh, that go into production at, at the end of the training, right? Because it's, so it's a real world application. So, I mean, if I'm understanding correctly, it sounds like you have two parts. Okay. The first part is the educational part as far as teaching them how to do things. And then the second part is actually doing the real world experience of doing it usually to a socially benefiting cause. Is that accurate? Yep. And then the third would be um, after now, once you've completed that social benefiting um um, project, um, you know, again, it's a minimum of six months that you're spending on a team is then you work for six months in a commercial environment for a real company, right? A real client, uh, that, that now you're getting commercial experience. So you're, you're getting all of those. And by the time you're done with that six months with your commercial, um, experience, you, you have no doubt with us or, you know, all, all of it's paid off, right? It's designed. There. How do you find the businesses for that commercial experience? Everything we do that's the easiest part of it, right? Is in fact, I just I just had a call with a 
major company with 200,000 people just before this. And it's the conversation is how many of your people can we get, right? There's such a shortage of talent and especially of knowing that, you know, I mean, how, how many programs do you know where you can go to and actually hire Native Americans or diverse or, you know, really help in, you know, an urban underserved neighborhood? So when you look at what we do right now, we, we want to be in the community we're helping. So you think of the problem like a gentrification, right? Where, you know, you go in, you take money, you invest it in this area, restore it. Everybody goes, that's great. It's better. But all the people that have to leave because they can't afford to live there. No, we want to go into that community, take the people who live there, upskill them, get them the jobs and transform the community from within, from those people rather than, and, you know, like when I go out to San Francisco, right, it's, it's such a tragic story when you meet the people, because now it's like, okay, for the $15 an hour jobs we used to be able to get, we were only 10 minutes away. Now we're 45 minutes away because we can't afford anything within 45 minutes. So now they're taking buses and, you know, it's, um, um, you know, like Amazon gets a really hard rap for like Seattle, right? And pushing, you know, coming in with nice apartments for their employees, but then pushing out the $15 an hour labor force, right? Yeah. And that's uh that that's a huge problem. I do think I, I'd like your take on this. This is just a thinking out loud moment, but I think the work from home actually may relieve a little bit of that pressure, especially if you have people that are starting to work decentralized instead of centralized in some of those big cities. I guess the problem now is a lot of those companies are starting to tell their employees, hey, you got to come back to the office again. So maybe it helped relieve it. Did it not? Uh, you know, there's definitely a call back to the office. But in what we do in the computer science space, um, 75% pretty solidly companies are saying we're never going to require that workforce to come back to the office. I mean, if you can have half your team in India, how do you not say you couldn't, you know, I mean, it's a, IT has been doing this a long time, right? And it's here to stay in IT. Oh yeah. Remote desktop is the best, right? <laughs> uh, especially when you have tools that can automate mouse clicks on your screen so that they think you're there. <laughs> uh, but let's get into this. Like the people that you end up helping them, you know, where I mean, you mentioned underserved Native American communities, like where specifically are they at around the com uh, country? You, I mean, you live in Iowa, right? So is it uh, mostly Iowa? How many different communities do you have? So visit, you know, Native American communities nationally, but our active uh program right now is with the Sac and Fox tribe in Iowa. It's a federally recognized tribe. Um, and by the way, there's roughly 374 federally recognized Native American tribes in this country. Most people didn't don't realize. And no, I, I didn't either. That's a that's a good fact to know. Yeah. And I, I you know, I'll just share one interesting thing in that because there's there's more things you you realize you'll realize you know very little about the Native American uh community. You just don't see that much, right? Um but like, um, you know, we'll, I'll meet, we'll meet with tribal leaders and say, hey, you know, why is it that, you know, Native Americans um, have amongst the lowest attendance rates to four-year colleges, yet you see these unfilled scholarships? You know, that seems like a, a paradox. And they'll say, well, like, first thing, and they're very generous and nice and very courteous, right? Um, 
very spiritual, peaceful, loving cultures, right? Um, and they'll say, like, just so you understand this, right? There's, you know, over 300 people groups, nations, right? That's why you're seeing a big conversion too. It used to be called tribes. Now it's more nation. So like even Sac and Fox tribe is Meskwaki nation. Um, is they're like, well, there's only 4,000 of us left on the planet and we're on this little piece of land out in the middle of nowhere. If our young people leave and go to college, they don't come back. So then we die off as a people group. So it's, you know, it's very different kind of problems in the Native community, uh, Native American communities. But to answer your question, it was, where are we? Um, right now, we're, we, we're in and operating in Iowa at the Second Fox Tribe. And we'll talk a little bit more about what that means. But we're looking to implement, you know, really just the only thing holding us back right now is just financially. Because like at the Second Fox Tribe, we literally, we start off with our, you know, our prerequisite foundational courses, which you'd think, right, like, you know, front-end web development, C-sharp, right, Java, database, right, these kinds of things. You know, we do it at completely no cost to the school, the people, the tribe. Yeah, that was going to be one of my next questions. Like, does it actually cost these people anything? They they pay nothing for us and what we do for it, right? So it's all through, you know, our philanthropic and uh, mission that, that pays for that. So, but how do you, how do you teach it? Are, are you teaching this online? Is it in person? Is it hybrid? Well, um, so it's hybrid and, you know, invite me back in six months to talk about it because um, we believe we, uh, so we did some design thinking workshops with students and teachers because um, when we originally rolled the program out, well, really four years ago is when we really started implementing this. And um, back in my previous company before it was Night Moves. And um, when COVID hit, the whole world changed because now all these company recruiters really went hog wild on recruiting, you know, talent where they could get it, right? Because before, you know, IT talent was remote, but it hadn't all really clicked in yet when that happened. So now you've got all these community college computer science instructors making 65000 a year that can make 80, 90,000 a year. And I tell you, I can go across the country and there's not a state where the community colleges can fill their uh, positions. I mean, some states, not one in nine, some states, one in 15 community colleges can fill their computer science instructors and probably maybe never will be able to now because, you know, there's a estimated 1.4 million shortage of computer science workers, right? And just in the US. So what happened is, we were counting on that whole, because that's really, we didn't want to duplicate or replicate what existed, right? Because we recruit in the high school system, because if you want to get more people into tech, especially more diverse people in tech, you got to do it when they're younger. Like in Iowa, if you don't get into tech by the time you're 18, the average age is 36. That's when somebody, like a lot of people that have come on this show, you know, they're usually in their mid 30s, sometimes 40s. And it's like, yeah, you know, I, I did this my whole life and then I had a career transformation and now I'm in tech because of this or that. And it, I, I think what you're saying is absolutely true because we've had countless stories like that on our show. You know, urban underserved were, um, you know, some areas where we can get community colleges uh, to, you know, they're still there. Um, but I'll tell you that the big problem we run into is, so you... Um, we're going to recruit, typically recruit kids into their junior year to take a course to see if they like it. Then they can go the second semester. 
So the next stumbling block we fell into was, okay, wow, we actually got a community college that can teach our prerequisites, right? Great. We go in and it's really fun because, you know, usually the biggest resistance of a community is, hey, we've tried this before. We can't get enough people, right, to enroll. So we go in. That's our expertise, right? We know how to get young people engaged. How do you get them engaged? Because, you know, one thing that we talked about last time that we were chatting is, you know, Technology has changed. I think because of how technology evolved, I have a 19-year-old Francisco. He's the producer of the show. When he was a younger lad, you know, I tried to get him involved and learn about things like coding, stuff like that. The tools weren't as fun or as cool back then. Now, coincidentally, he's studying it in college and loves it. Uh, but my daughter, on the other hand, who's only nine, I mean, there's a lot more like STEM, really cool, attractive programs like, oh, I can hack Minecraft, look, dad, or I can hack Roblox, look, and it's getting her involved in coding at that age. Whereas 10 years ago with my son, I wasn't able, you know, those tools weren't available. Is that kind of what you're seeing? Um, well, you know, and remember too, right, we're, um, we're working with urban underserved, Native American and rural communities. So the the young people who have the opportunities your kids have is almost non-existent in those communities, right? There's so few people we run into who even know those tools exist, right? Who even know anything about it. And, you know, the network isn't there, right? So it's a very different, um, very different aspect to walk into uh, in these communities. But to answer your question of, hey, how do you do this? Well, this is like the most cause-driven um, generation, right? So like when I grew up, High school, you know, you're 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 brought up to hey, graduate high school, go to college, get a degree, get a stable job at a good company, buy a house with a white picket fence, and live happily ever after. Right? This this generation's very different. It's very, I want to make the world a better place. I want equality. You know, you long list. You're talking about millennials or Gen Z? Um, is it Gen Z or what's the one after even Gen Z? Gen Alpha. Whatever the high school group would be today, right? And Gen Z, and I'd even say millennials, right? High school, high school group may still be Gen Z. Well, that generation um, really wants to make a difference in the world, right? And so when we go in, we don't talk about being a workforce development or training, or we go in and say. Hey, look at what we do. We're the we're the Silicon Valley of social innovation, and and you know they've never heard social innovation before. So we show them examples and say, for example, did you know that forty um, percent of all supplies that get shipped in support of international disasters never make it to the recipients? And they go, "Wow, that's amazing." So like those people who need bottled water or need drugs or need this, right? They they can't get it. Yeah, forty percent of it disappears. Then we talk about, hey, here's a project that we've, um, we're have we going to do to actually address that and to fix it. And then we share other problems, whether it's homelessness or drug addiction, right? And we say, here's technology innovation that, you know, examples of what we build out, right, to, to help this. And the, and the young folks go, wow, this is amazing. This is just so cool that somebody's doing this. And then we say, well, yeah, well, hey, we're the... But we're the green piece of this, meaning we want you to be part of it and join it. And, you know, that time period after you're done with school, that's the time to do something like this in your life, like, like right after high school. And um, but here's the kicker. If you do this with it, this this is a pathway to have no college debt, to be working two to three years sooner than if you went and um, 
to be making, you know, 60,000 a year plus, and you can stay in your, in your community. Right. 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 So you, you mentioned earlier about how that part of the recipe is that commercial experience as well, too, where they're doing real life production and uh, development for a company. Do any of the students end up staying on board with those companies afterwards, or is it kind of like an internship for that six months? No, it's, you know, the companies that come to us are people who want the talent, right? They, and, and yeah, so it's, it's, it's more of a try before you buy when they work with us, right? It's, they get that six months of, of kind of dual prep, you know, they're working for us, but they work for the company. But yeah, I mean, it'd be pretty rare that I would think a company would not want to hire them or they wouldn't because we're not looking for internships, right? That's, that's not what we're looking for. We're look our companies are companies that want the talent. So would you say that, uh, you know, the success rate of people that, because one big problem I think with our educational system right now is that you go out, you get a degree and a lot of those degrees are, quote unquote, worthless, you know, to where uh, it's hard to find the job in the field that you studied in with your business and how you're setting this up with all these different steps and experiences are a lot of your people then getting employment after your your program and they're fully graduated. Yeah. And, you know, ours is a bit of a fail safe approach, right? So we only train people in jobs that are, you know, and skills that are in high demand, right, in tech. And you only graduate our program. It's not classroom or curriculum based, right? It's, you have to demonstrate you can actually do every aspect of the job or you don't graduate. So our guarantee to employers is they can fully do the job. And this is what that means. And as an employer, would you rather hire somebody that just finished their education or somebody that actually had proven they could already do the job, right? And so that's kind of an easy sell point. Um, to companies. You know what's crazy about that? Like, if you think back to the Great Recession, you know, I was an adult, I had a family at the time, and when the economy was in the tanks, I couldn't get a job. That's why I went into my own consulting business. And it wasn't because I had experience, didn't have experience. It wasn't because, uh, you know, references, like I had everything lined up. It, basically, there was that many people searching for employment, you know, they could have their cake and eat it too. Because they're like, oh, we want people with experience. We want people with a college degree. And it really made it hard for a couple years in order to find employment uh, without a college degree. However, I think that that is starting to turn around to where it's starting to get back to where it was before, where we're going to hire the candidate, you know, based upon relevant experience, not necessarily someone fresh out of college no real life experience that just has a just has a degree. Yeah. Now, now think of the contrast here, right? You're a company, you hire a four-year computer science degree graduate and software development teams, most of them, they have some form of their team measures velocity, right? Of kind of, wouldn't call it productivity, but output. Um, so when you hire a college degree graduate and you put them on your team, your velocity is going to go down because your senior people have to acclimate the new person, right? With, Hiring from night moves, you're going to put one of our graduates on your team and you're going to see the first sprint velocity increase, right? Because they literally, 
Um, and, you know, we'll circle back to, he asked the difference between a nonprofit and the benefit corp. Yeah, that's where I was going to get to after this. But one more piece on the fail proof, right? So our approach is really centered around helping people take steps, learn, make decisions, right? So like most people, they, I mean, there's such a massive amount of people who change their majors in college, right? That's very expensive. It could take another year, right? So again, you know, we share what we do and we say, join us. And then they, they go, well, we don't have to do anything technology. Great. Next semester, sign up for this course, typically front-end web development or introduction to programming. If you like it, here's the next course you take. Here's your whole pathway of what you do. If you don't like it, go take nursing. Take this, take that, experiment, right? So trying to get people to experiment in their junior and senior years to see if they like it. And then for us, like before we accept somebody fully into our program, they've completed seven courses, right? So if somebody's completed seven courses and you can see they're great. Yeah, and then we, you know, we actually do a pairing interview with them and make sure, did you actually, and we tell them before, the, and teachers love this, right? Because we say, hey, you know, David, if you go through this, you know, this isn't like a, a take it, memorize it, dump it, right? You're going to use everything you learn in your Java class or C-sharp, right? Or these classes in your academic classes, those seven, you're going to use in your career. And we're going to test you on it to make sure you actually learned it. You're going to actually demonstrate, wow, you know how to write Java, taking us. That changes your whole perspective when you take the course where you're like paying attention now, right? Because it's not like, because every other course you've had in your life, you take it, you memorize it, you take a final and you dump it, right? And so we're changing that course. So if you think about what we're doing, right? Giving these young people experiences to see if they like it. If they don't, move on. If you do, progress. Right, right. No, I think that's, uh, that's great. And I could not agree more with the approach that you're doing. So I want to jump more into, first off, incredible mission that you're carrying out link i love it it's really really amazing and you're doing some really good stuff for you know people that really need the help of somebody like you standing up to give them a path forward but um i do want to pivot a little bit to the business side of things because uh, you know you're not a nonprofit, but instead right now you're a limiting profit company and you're about to change into a B Corp, if I remember correctly. Why don't you explain to us why your B Corp limited profiting company versus the nonprofit? Yeah. So, well, first is, so why our organizations, and you usually don't get questions back to you very often, do you? But it'd be fun for you to. I do sometimes. Yeah. So why do, why do, why are there nonprofits? Why do they exist? I would say they're a tax shelter. I mean, you know, it's a way for people to donate money into them and, but, but here's the problem with it, because Night Loops actually started as a nonprofit, right, when I initially started it. And then I got into it, and my attorney said, well, hey, Link, this is great, but you can't do that. It's against the law. And I'm like, well, if I can't do it, it's not going to work. For anybody who's been in the nonprofit industry, and uh, all I'll say is if you've ever filled out a, 90, a 990 IRS long form, and, you know, and you're still alive because, you know, you survived it, it's um, it's the nonprofit world is so much more regulated than the business world. It's exponentially more regulated. Well, then I have a question on that topic right there. If it's so regulated, then how come you have all of these scandalous, I guess you could say, nonprofits out there where 
they're talking like, oh, you know, for every dollar contributed, they're only spending three cents on their cause. If it's not that regulated, how come there's so many charities out there like that? Yeah, I don't know how many it's of that because you're, you're typically, I mean, you could look at it. I think the average amount of fundraising uh, nonprofit spend is between 15 and 30%, right? So you just look at right off the top, just the cost for them, because they got to go get donations and grants, right? So like a super lean nonprofit is 10%, right, of their of their fundraising. But now you've got your administrative fee, right? And that's the cost of just having an organization, which can be another 15 to 20%. So when you really look at it, you know, your cost of operating your mission, 60% or 80% if you're stellar, right, of all your money that comes in. Um, but, and it's, and it's really, you know, people talk about, there's kind of this push for being self-sustainable nonprofits and, and anybody in the nonprofit would say, well, that's an oxymoron because to be a nonprofit, you have to have the majority and the 990 form really starts looking at, you know, when you fill out your data for the IRS to check your compliance, they're really, cause you can charge program fees as a nonprofit, but as soon as you start crossing the 30% threshold, meaning more than 30% of my income is program fees, they start saying, well, you're really not a nonprofit. You're really a for-profit. So we're going to take away your tax exempt status because the definition of a nonprofit is you're, you know, doing a public cause, right? So you're serving a cause, but you're really living off of um, donations and grants. So, um, and then you look at other things you can't do, right? So as a nonprofit, you can't do something that benefits a specific company. That's to benefit the public. So like what we can do is, you know, we can go into a company and say, okay, what's your cloud environment? Is it AWS? Is it Azure? Is it, you know, Google? What's your source code system? What's this? What's that? What's this? Right. Go through everything contextually of their environment. So we've taken someone through not only our training, but we've acclimated with that company's environment. We can sit with a company and say, how do we make your business grow? Right. Nonprofits can't do that. They can do for an industry, they can create training for any industry, but they can't start tailing into a company because that trips the wire of hope. Oh, this really isn't public benefiting. And when that company is donating money or something to that nonprofit, they go, hey, this is just tax shelter BS, right? You can't do that. So that's why, and, and, and so now, okay, now I'm going to answer why are we a exclusive benefit corp? Um, so what a benefit corp does is it really has two major advantages is, and what a benefit corp is, is it's really a for-profit where you just have to have a primary social benefiting purpose, like, you know, in your bylaws, right? Your, is your company mission. And, but you can still make money, right? The owners can still take dividends and, or distributions, depending what, you know, kind of corporate structure you have. Um, but you've got to have a primary social benefiting mission. So one of the first things, reasons you want to have a B Corp is, is if if you don't have a B Corp and you just have a for-profit corp and you have shareholders, they can sue your pants off if you're making fiduciary decisions that don't involve making them more money as shareholders, right? Because your job as a company is to make them money, right? So for me to protect myself, right? Because I'm not here to make money for the company, for, for owners, shareholders, they can't sue me for me not making money for a social benefiting mission. Now, what, what makes us 
Well, okay, two other quick benefits of a benefit corp is if you're a benefit corporation, now you can go to foundations and nonprofits and they can they can buy your shares, right? And they can invest in you or give you low interest loans. And I'll I'll come back to that in a second and say why that's so valuable to, to our mission. But we're an actually X. B Corp. We're not just a B Corp. B Corp is a benefit corporation. Now we invented the term X B Corp, just so you know, it's not, you're not going to see anywhere else. But what that means is we actually, Knife Moves is actually not just a benefit corporation, but it's really a nonprofit without any of the strings of a nonprofit. And by that, I mean, our, our bylaws and our legal structure is that if you own shares in our company, you get no money ever. There are no dividends. So Think about this, right? Let's say a foundation says, hey, I want to impact this community. I want to see 40 people a year come through this program every year because we're fully self-sustainable. Again, what you can't do as a nonprofit because 100% of our funds can come from services and right, we don't, we can't. That's the only downside of being a benefit corporation though over a nonprofit is we cannot take donations directly. But if we're partnering with a nonprofit or foundation, organizations can donate to them, to, to the foundations or nonprofit, get their tax write-off. They can then give us the loans. They can hire us. They can buy our shares. But here's the beautiful things. Let's say a foundation bought a million dollars of our shares. That's not taxable income to us, right? Buying shares is just money that's not taxable. So now we can go into that community and spend three years doing our transformational implementation, right? Where we're, we're up to that point of, because in every community, we want to be getting 15, 25, 50 people a year through that program sustainably going forward, right? So we can operate as a for-profit, but yet have no profit to pay tax on because our, our funding mechanism is buying shares, right? Which again, is non-taxable. Um, and then our income that comes in off of that just keeps going back and paying for itself, right? So let's say I'm in a community, the million bucks trains everybody, then we get a million bucks back from employers and from you know getting the training costs back that goes into the next batch, but you're never becoming taxable. So we don't ever, I mean, there's gonna be some tax to pay, but it's, so you're really getting way more benefit as from being a nonprofit because you have none of the restrictions, um, but you're still really not, and. And we don't have any fundraising overhead. So instantly we're saving, you know, that 15 to 25% because we're not fundraising. I feel like I just got a master class in social business practices. <laughs> that, that, that was amazing. Now, I, I want to ask you, I guess, a tough question in a way. Maybe it's not so tough. We'll see. We had an amazing woman on this show. Her name's Bessie Graham uh, from one of our previous episodes. I have it right here. Let's see which one it was uh, for viewers out there. Episode 170 last season. And she's very, very big into things like B Corps and stuff like that. And what she did when she came on to the show was, I guess some of her key points were that you can still do socially good, you know, as a B Corp or whatever. You can have social change. You can still create an impact and make money at it as well, too, that you should not feel guilty if you make a decent, not exorbitant, but a decent 
living while creating positive change. Do you agree with that sentiment? Do you disagree with it? I'd love to hear your thoughts. 100% agree? Yep. But just for us and the consortium of folks who started this and put our money into it, we just said, we just, we just aren't doing this to make money, right? I mean, I'm at a different point in my career and um, it's just not our focus. We want every, we want everything to go back into what we're doing. I mean, I mean, for me, David, just personally, I've just, you know, when you watch people, I've never in this country, except in a Native American tribe, seen human beings eat out of garbage cans. And when you see things like that and you see how people live and you go, okay. And I've had, um, I wouldn't call them near death experiences, but have almost died a couple of times in the last five years for multiple reasons. Well, when I was, I'm 54 now, but when I was 48, I had a fall on your back heart attack. No, you don't look a day over 53 lane. <laughs> Thank you. And, uh, and then I had another health issue and I've lost 105 pounds since then. So congratulations. I course corrected on the bad lifestyle decisions. But when you start seeing that, you go, I, I mean, I've had my years where I've made a lot of money in my industry and what I've done and um, bought the toys. I just, just not interested. I, there's not, it's just time that we focus for me. Now you feel like you're, you're making process, you're doing change, you're having an impact, and you're able to live what you would consider a happy life. And I don't think there's anything wrong with that. I'm ecstatic. I mean, I've got a house that's paid for. It's worth maybe $250,000. Um, what do I need, you know, that I don't have? Food? Well, I mean, I'm not trying to be like this weird hippie kind of thing, but... Um, I've got to live the, the wealthy lifestyle. When I say wealthy, I wasn't a millionaire, but I did very, very well. Right. Um, but, um, you, you find out what's really important in life. And then I had grandkids too, and that absolutely changes your life. I, I can imagine. I hope, uh, it's at least 20, 30 years before I see my first grandchild. <laughs> we'll see that. We'll see. So I guess let's, uh, end with, uh, one final question, uh, just kind of, pivoting back to the core mission of night moves. Okay. How do you really differentiate night moves versus the other traditional types of coding camps? Cause there are a lot of coding camps out there. And if you have a community or some people, native Americans, for example, if you, uh, as you've mentioned a few times, um, you know, how do they know night moves is right? for them compared to those other options. And you know, and I'm definitely not throwing any of the code camps under the bus, right? Um, I, I just can say I, in my 36 year career in corporate America, I would not hire a code camp graduates. And the data shows that of how much they start when they graduate. I mean, there's still often jobs and they can get employment, but not always. One of my good friends, he, uh, he, so he was a journalist worked for the newspaper and he, but he was a big techie and he was actually writing an article on me and that's how we originally met and we stayed in contact and have been friends now for about a decade. And he was like, you know, I love tech so much. I, I'm going to go study tech. And he went to Penn State for a semester and he's like, yeah, this isn't teaching me what I like. This stuff is antiquated. This is not the tech I wanted to learn. So he went to a boot camp, I believe in Colorado. And I, I think it was there for a few months, came out of it, 
And he's been employed six figures since, you know, and keeps getting better and better jobs as he gets more experience. And I also think it's easier. The code camp boot camp is easier for more of that mid-career people transitioning too, right? Because you've already got so much, like if you and I went and did it, right? And I have a computer science degree, so I wouldn't need to, but um, you're, I mean, you're, you're, it's not just your skills, right? It's your life experience, how to solve problems. But here's the main difference. Um, code camps are typically four months long, maybe six months long, right? The really good ones to me are six months, but most are still four months. Um, so you've got to take, Every so like a four-year degree, right? Computer science, you're gonna learn over four years. So think of packing everything you've learned into four to six months, right? Our program is three years to get through. So you think about I'm absorbing and bring, you know, we're just starting their junior year, right? They're gonna take their senior year and then at least another full year after high school. So you're you're soaking this in and learning it over three years. So you're Matt and, and, and also a code camp. You're so like our seven foundation courses would be more than a code camp and what you learn. Like if you look at the number of hours in classroom, but the other is a code campus. I mean, you're learning the fundamentals and learning how to code. Now, once you learn, like you could go from a code camp into our program, right? Because now you're going to take six months, take what you learned in a code camp or our seven foundational courses and work on a production working team, creating real world solutions, right? Actually applying it with seasoned experts. So that's six months of in the field doing work would be like your first six months with job. It's like a code camp plus six months of experience, really, right? Even more than that, because it's very focused on what we teach them. Now, before we get your contact info and stuff like that, I, I can imagine we have a lot of people out there wondering they're you know thinking well how can i help night moves do you guys accept donations anything like that is that possible you know the best thing you can do is the, the majority of the way we advance our mission is by doing technology services and with our partners types of services for businesses so if you work for a company that's bigger go to nightmoves.org right and again it's night like the chess piece not the bob seeger song you know, click contact and say, hey, I'd love to connect you with our HR department or IT department. And as they buy our services, we take that profit and roll it back into our mission. So that's really the most, the biggest thing that 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 people could do is um, just connect us with the companies that they're going to, I mean, they're, they're going to buy the services anyway, right? We're not asking them to donate, you know. Um, so that'd be the first thing is, hey, if you're going to buy these services anyway, whether it's staffing or project or IT modernization, right, consider us. And if you do, all these good things happen. The second thing is if you do work at a company, um, whether you have a foundation or not, if you want, and we look for a minimum of investors of 100000 or more, right? So it's probably not somebody's mom and pop small business. But to buy our shares, and you can buy our shares direct or you can donate it to one of our nonprofit partners and they buy them. But that's then what lets us go into expanding new, new communities. That is amazing. Hey, Link, you, you're doing incredible work, my friend. Thank you so much for coming on to the show. Everybody, you know, again, check out the website, Knight, like K-N-I-G-H-T. Okay, we're going to have the link down below in the description. 
Link, my buddy, thank you so much and keep up the incredible work, my friend. Thank you so much. I just got to note what a cool, awesome shirt you've got on too. For the oh, people. yeah, I know. I, I love this shirt. I love this shirt. It thank looks you. like one of those you want to touch. It's so yeah, soft. Yeah. Oh, believe me, I touch myself in it all day. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, Thank David. you again, Link, and best of luck, my friend. Thank you. Cheers. That was an incredible chat with Link, right? First, you all know the routine. If you found this interview helpful, if it sparked those warm and fuzzies, do me a favor, hit the like button, smash that subscribe button. But if you really want to help us out because you know Shark Bite Biz is the greatest kept secret in the world, the small business. In fact, by the expert bookers, we have been nominated as one of the top 12 business podcasts out there right now. Please do us a favor, share us out to your friends, colleagues, family, anywhere that you dwell on the interwebs. Facebook, Minds, LinkedIn, Twitter, wherever you're at, share us out because people will only get to hear experts like Link Kroger or these social, you know, entrepreneurs like Night Moves and his business that Link has by listening to this podcast. Now, let's get back to the real rock star of this show, Mr. Link Kroger. This was one of those chats where I was really just able to geek out because Link and I have so much in common, especially with my day job at Sador, where I help businesses grow via the promise of technology. More specifically, I do SAP ERP solutions for small businesses, but that really pales in comparison to what Link is doing. I like Link's strategy. He has a goal and he has a niche. He isn't looking for a one-off person here or there, but actual groups and communities of people that he's able to get into these boot camps and then essentially do an internship and hopefully have them fully employed afterwards. The way that he focuses on that niche and doesn't get distracted by going down every rabbit hole like, oh, let me reach for this. Let me reach for that. I mean, that is an incredible strength and shows, you know, the focus that he has on this mission. And that's why he's leading it to success and has had the success that he's had, especially working with the Native American communities that are probably one of, if not the most underserved serve communities in this country. Anyways, awesome stuff, Link. Thank you for coming on, sharing about your business night moves and how you're revolutionizing the lives of those in underserved communities and help them find a productive, more financial freedom path forward in life that breaks the cycle. Question of the day. What do you think of programs like Night Moves? Love to hear your comments on YouTube. Remember to be on the show. Interviews at SharkBiteBiz.com. Don't forget, if you're watching on YouTube, you can join the channel. Become a baby shark. Only $3 a month. Or give us a super thanks, whether it's a dollar or $50. Every dollar helps us get the mission that we're trying to accomplish of the three G's, personal growth, professional growth, and business growth out there and helps get the missions of our guests like Link Kroger out there to the masses. And please don't forget, humbly, I'm going to thank our sponsor again, SAP Platinum Global Partner, Sador. That's S-E-I-D-O-R.com. Okay, if you're on QuickBooks, it's time to get off. Let's take that next step up and automate your business. You all know this by now, but I'll say it once again. I'm David Strasser. This is Shark Bite Biz. We'll see you all next episode. Cheers. 
Thank you for listening to Shark Bite Biz. We hope you got some insightful info from this podcast. Be sure to subscribe to us through your favorite podcast app and visit us on the web at www.sharkbitebiz.com. How has business changed for you in the 20s? Email us at podcast at sharkbitebiz.com so you can join us and share your story. 